Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Reese Show, where we interview experts to help you understand where technology is headed and how it will impact society as a whole and also your daily life. Thanks so much for learning with us and enjoy the episode. Hello. Today, I'm sharing a interview that I did on somebody else's podcast, and I chat about Root, both our projects and what we're working on, and also about the fellowship. As a reminder for folks, if you want to join the fellowship, apply by June 10th, and it helps you. The fellowship is all about giving you agency in this big, intense transition for humanity. And so I talk about those things and crypto's impact on existential risk and various other fun topics. So thanks and enjoy this podcast I do with my friend Alex. Bye. Welcome to the Index Podcast, hosted by Alex Kahaya. Plug in as we explore new frontiers with Web3 and the decentralized future. Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Index, brought to you by The Graph, where we talk with entrepreneurs building the next wave of the internet. I'm your host, Alex Kahaya. Today, I'm excited to welcome Reese Lindmark. Reese is the CEO and co-founder of Root, a nonprofit startup studio co-building the Wisdom Age. Reese, thanks for being here today. Excited to chat with you, Alex. Tell us more about what you're working on at Root and maybe how you kind of got involved in, in this space. Root is, as you said, a nonprofit startup studio. I'll break that down. So one is we're a nonprofit, which is not um, a normal thing. There's lots of venture-backed XYZs, but we are a nonprofit, but we're also a startup studio. And so that means that we have a bunch of different little projects that we're working on. For example, there's one called Tweetscape, which is helping to make a healthier like Twitter. There's one called Web3 in Society, which is education and tooling to help like steward crypto for the public good. And there's a couple others. And so we have this startup studio model with a couple of these projects that we're starting up. And for me, we just started at the beginning of this year. I've been before this, I helped co-found ETH Denver and taught blockchain ethics at the MIT Media Lab, but really wanted to kind of have my own thing in order to kind of push forward a lot of these both macro systemic issues, but also some specific ones to Web3. I don't know how I missed that you were a co-founder of ETH Denver. That's literally my favorite conference in the space. The first year, 2018, was funny because... I was there. You were there? Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was only 1,500 people versus 15,000 people, you know? So it was smaller ball, but Uh, I didn't go last year, but the last time I was there was right before the lockdowns for COVID. If you go there this like this last year in 2022, it's just crazy to see how big it is. Like people can't even fit inside the sports castle anymore. It's it's nuts. You said you wanted to do your own thing. Why a nonprofit startup studio versus something that's for profit? And how are you funding it? How, How does that work? Yeah, great questions. So, uh, and let me say one other note on ETH Denver, which is just to reemphasize that, yeah, it was a full crew. It was like I was helping catalyze it at the beginning and did a lot of like the content and emceeing for the first one. But then the team there has just done a crazy good job, especially Justin and John of just like turning it into a full on, you know, like South by Southwest vibe. Good questions about why a nonprofit and also why a kind of a startup studio and how we're funded. So the nonprofit side has always been kind of my shtick within the crypto space. So when I first got, you know, full-time in 2017, it was like, okay, this stuff is amazingly good. App coins is what a lot of the stuff was called at the time. And I didn't buy any crypto. I said, I'm going to not have any cryptocurrency so that I'm not too aligned with any Bitcoin or ETH or Maker or whatever. 
which obviously in retrospect, it's like, maybe I should have rethought that ethical decision. But so that's kind of been my shtick the whole time. And then like with co-founder or like helping start some ETH Global stuff, just really trying to get the, I was a computer science major and just saw the amazing stuff. It was like, great, let's do developer community. Let's do education. And then same with teaching it at the MIT Media Lab was just like, how will this impact society? Because when you change money as a primitive, and then when you change how people coordinate as a primitive, that's like, will have huge impacts. And so I think that the nonprofit model is one that, you know, I think part of it is that it's a really easy way. It's kind of what I would call a worse is better, where the worst side of it is that we don't have, we can't take money from traditional VCs or whatever, which is bad. But the better thing is that the space has so much bonus capital. And so you can kind of put yourself in a little hole and say, look, we're only going to accept donations. We're only going to do things that are like under apportioned, you know, like public good work always building open source software, always doing things where if other people are, and let me give you a specific example of kind of the, how, what the mindset enables. Our root.co slash careers page, at the bottom of it, it says, hey, do you not like any of these jobs here? Here's a bunch of other people who we really love who are doing awesome aligned work. And so I think that kind of nonprofit allows us to not just maximize shareholder interest or whatever and just go for things that we think will benefit the whole ecosystem. So that's why we're a nonprofit and we have roughly a million dollars of donations starting at the beginning of this year. And that money is mostly from it's, you know, from two from the graph, from Protocol Labs, from Yaniv, who's the CEO of the graph, and then from Shingai Thornton, who's a um, kind of like a crypto whale type. So that's what kind of where we're getting our money. And then now we're focused on the kind of impact side now that we have a little bit of runway. What kind of public goods work are you doing in the Web3 space? Yeah, because there's a lot. There's a lot to do. You're right. Like there's so much that can get funded, even just through big grants, right? From every single chain, you know, where's your focus? So our Web3 and Society Center, if you like go to our website, there are four big categories of things that we're working on. One of them is dashboards. So this is, are we decentralized yet? And is Web3 green? And the idea behind those is the ecosystem needs to be able to see itself on some of these core metrics. So like, are we decentralized yet? When Moxie came out with his piece, I was like, hey, you guys are claiming decentralization, but everybody goes through MetaMask, everybody goes through Infura, everybody goes through OpenSea, OpenSea doesn't even, you know, reference the blockchain, everybody's just referencing OpenSea's own database, whatever. Everybody's like, oh God, you're right. So I think having some of those dashboards that let the ecosystem see itself are what we're starting to build. And then the next one is research. So there's like three big categories here, but the most crucial one is what we call uh, the long view on Web3. And so that's looking at how crypto will impact like existential risks for humanity. So this is if folks are familiar with uh, effective altruism and thinking about biotechnology and biosecurity or artificial intelligence alignment, it's kind of looping that in with some of the coordination and cryptography stuff that we're doing with Web3. So that's the second big bucket is research. And then the third big bucket is community like engineering standards. And so one of these is standard bearer, which is just like a place where we hope to, you know, co-create standards. Like back in the day, it was ERC, you know, 20 and ERC 721. And then now stuff like, or like EIP 4626, which is the new kind of yearn vault standard. That's kind of what we want to do there. And then we have another project called MetaGlue DAO, which is kind of helping all DAO succeed and helping like this multi-scale coordination happen there. And then the final bit is 
education generally. So this is both something called the WAGME bootcamp, just getting more diverse folks into the space, but also like a, a deathics, <laughs> decentralized ethics, which is not a great meme, but whatever. Um, and, you know, helping create a network of centers around the globe and universities to think about blockchain ethics. So those are the four big categories, dashboards, the research, and then, you know, engineering standards, and then finally education. What is the long view on Web3? Where are we going? And in what time frame are we talking about? Is this like 10 years, 30 years? What are we, what are we looking at? So let me say one other like disclaimer here, which is this work, you know, Root as an org, we just got 51C3 stats at the start of the year. We just got an operations guy to help me with this and have just started hiring for these things. And so none of these, we haven't actually f- hired a full-time employee within the Web3 and society side of Root yet. So we'll find out what these things look like over time. I think for the long view on Web3, the idea is, and so are you familiar with effective altruism, by the way? Mm-mm, not really. Did you see SBF's FTX Future Fund? I heard about it, but I don't think I've read or really like looked into it. SBF is an effective altruist. He, it's in the, he's one of these rationalist types who he looks, and Vitalik is too. They look at the world and they're like, okay, how can we do the most good with our money? And there are kind of three answers that come from that. One of them is the like poor lives matter perspective, which is like, wow, there's 750 million people in extreme poverty still. Let's help them out. Let's like go to give directly and give them money. Or you can do the kind of animal lives matter perspective, which is that there's 70 billion factory farmed land animals every year. It's just like, oh my God, that's way too many. Or you could do the future lives matter perspective, which says, hey, there's, you know, 8 billion people alive today. We've had roughly 100 billion humans overall. But what about the long-term future? There could be like, if we've only had 100 billion humans thus far in the future, you could have trillions and trillions of people. We don't want to like accidentally screw it up and like self-terminate the human population before all of those future lives get to be lived. So that's the the frame that this comes from is trying to protect the long-term future. Does that frame make sense? So it's infinite. <laughs> it's like basically it's always, it's like the next, you know, infinite time. Roughly speaking, you could think of it as infinite time. And there's there's debates within these people for how much you discount the future lives. You know, economic discounting is a thing that happens a lot where you're like, oh, a money in the future doesn't matter as much as money today. And you can also do a similar thing with lives where you're like, oh, does a life that is happens 100 years from now, does it count the same as a life that happens today? And depending on where you draw that line, yeah, something about infinite and the really deep long-term future. How does that impact the infinite future of humanity? What do you think that looks like? I'd say that there are two ways to go with this. One clear way to go to this is to connect blockchains and cryptography to existing methods of existential risk. So when people estimate the odds that we're going to survive by the end of the century, it's a one-sixth chance that we self-terminate, that we go away, but that's still way too high. That's like 16% chance. And, And that's because artificial intelligence and biosecurity, like engineered pandemics, could be a really big deal. And so one direct connection between the stuff that the crypto world is doing and those worlds is saying, okay, how can we use, maybe like a risk would be, with this new cryptography that's being developed, ZK Snarks, ZK Starks, what have you, how will that impact our ability to surveil and make sure that as these artificial intelligences get more and more powerful, that they're not able to kind of hide what they're doing from ourselves or the public. 
that's like a or or similarly with engineered pandemics where it's like how can we use cryptography to make sure that these existing existential risks don't go poorly so that's kind of one frame here there's another frame though which is kind of the one that i think you were pointing at which is you know i think that this century and other folks think that this century might be the most important century of all of humanity and with that in mind we're going through this phase change right now where it's like we've just all wired up to each other on the internet and now we have a permit you know we have the internet of information and also the internet of money now with blockchains and so from a multi-scale human coordination perspective how can we get to a space where everybody in the system essentially has enough money for themselves and that the system as a whole is kind of anti-fragile so and that the coordination systems are such that as people are moving through it that the choices and the decisions that are made are all that they don't lead to existential risk that's still a kind of an abstract answer but there's you can think about the future state that you want to occur which is for all of the nodes in the world all the humans to have an anti-fragile system such that as we're doing random things that happen in the future they don't kind of lead to existential risk Maybe like an example would be like someone might make the argument that, say, if Bitcoin were the global reserve currency, then it would equalize the power by taking it away, monetary power from governments and and thusly to a more stable global economy and society because you wouldn't have this like petrodollar controlling the world and like influencing all this other like, you know, people make that argument. That's like the direct thing that causes war, which then leads to. You talk about existential risks, you look at the war in Ukraine right now and Russia and like the sanctions against Russia and then how Russia like took a page out of DeFi books and like invented an economy to like pump up the ripples so that the, that could recover. Right? This is actually almost that stuff, the game theory that's involved in crypto you know, token economics playing out in real time. I'm just connecting the dots here of what you were saying. Love it. And I think I think there's actually a version of that that I think is another way to say that, which is there's the Bitcoin as reserve currency frame. There's also the frame, which is, you know, 500 years ago, we decoupled the state from the church, which was a really big deal and led to all kinds of stuff. And now we're decoupling supposedly, money from the state. Supposedly we decoupled the state from the I church. I would, I, would, I would argue it's uh, still quite uh, coupled <laughs> in the United States, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. And so now in theory, we're decoupling money from the state. And so uh, if we can print magic internet money, anybody can print magic internet money. And so that is going to, at the beginning, it looks funny. You know, first they laugh at you and it's like, oh, these memes and Dogecoin and let's laugh at the FTX um, Super Bowl ad. But then later you went, you know, and what's going to happen maybe perhaps is that we're just going to continue the money printer of as nation states begin to adjust to an internet age, we want that transition to be less of a revolution and more of an evolution. And so it's less kind of scary and fragile. So what were you doing before ETH Denver? Like before 2017, what were you working on? I was a computer science major. I love teaching. So I taught in India and uh, Nepal and then China. I taught in China for a year outside of school and learned some Mandarin. And after that, I had a music education startup with some high school friends. And so we did it our senior year of college and it 
it's kind of like GarageBand, but on your phone and helped. It was when Words with Friends was a, was a big deal. And so we were making Beats with Friends, like a collaborative uh, GarageBand. And it, it was awesome. It had hundreds of thousands of downloads and people really loved it. And we helped, you know, 2 million kids make music. And so I was doing that when I came back from China. I kind of rejoined my 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 two co-founders to work on that project. It was called Edify and Music Quest. And it's actually still out there today and still working. But for me, helping kids make music is great and helpful. And I love music. But it was 2016, 2017, post-Trump times. I was like, I need to kind of widen my scope and, and go towards the weirder existential risk kind of conversations. That's kind of where that came from. You were like, I want to work on these these problems that are going to like take out humanity and not like necessarily a, a music app per se, like a little more impactful. Do you have like a specific chain that you're focused on for these public goods? Are you writing software in some cases? Like it sounds like you are like writing software and sta- or like just like architecting standards, which is a little, it's not exactly writing software, but it's technical. Is this multi-chain or are you focused on ETH or what's their thinking generally there? You know, when I first got into crypto full-time 2017, it was like, okay, ETH was just my vibes. It was like weirder people, cooler people, optimistic people. It was like, okay, and the Bitcoin folks, they were just a little bit too intense, you know? But then when I was at MIT Media Lab, I was working with some Bitcoin core developers, which was really great, actually, and getting to know them. And because there's only, there's not that many of them. And they are, they're just paranoid, extremely good, you know, security-minded engineers. And that was cool for me to see that other side, to see, wow, if you want to be a reserve currency, this is what it takes. OPSEC, all these kinds of things. So that was seeing that. And then obviously in, in 2017, 2018, as all the other L1s, uh, smart contract platforms started to get formed, Near Solana, Ava, Polkadot, Cosmos, uh, Binance, whatever. I think that for me, in thinking about the future of Web3 and society and what we're going to build on, I'd say we're chain agnostic, roughly speaking, and would mostly just want to... It'll be this kind of funny thing where a lot of what we're trying to do is build things that uh, benefit the whole crypto ecosystem. But as you noted earlier, if we're asking for money from a specific org, you know, like for us, the Graph Foundation gave us some money for Web3 and society. And they're actually pretty good because they're like, look, you just go for it, you know, go for it, do whatever you want. But a lot of the foundations are more like, hey, you need to like do stuff specifically within our ecosystem. And so I think we'll do a little bit of that work, but always, always be trying to build things that are will benefit the ecosystem as a whole. This whole focus is that the genesis of the name, the Wisdom Age. What's the story behind that? Yeah, that's a good question. So <laughs> the Wisdom Age is an illustrated piece. It's like a 30-minute piece, maybe maybe 60 minutes, but it is, it's all illustrated, and it is really cool. So it came out of last year when we were just starting to spin up root things. I was working with uh, a designer and another kind of employee at the time, and he did these 25 interviews with people in the kind of post-capitalist space and both post-capitalist folks, but also folks within crypto as well. And he kind of got a whole view of what's going on out there. And then we took it and turned it into kind of a synthesis of what's currently happening with this like next future for humanity. And the term wisdom age is we kind of designed it because we wanted to, in general, one of our principles as an org is to be pluralist to say like, Hey, we're always into all the things, but so, so we could say, oh, we're just searching for this random new future. 
but it's actually really helpful to have specific versions of what that looks like. And that's why the solar punk meme has been such a powerful meme within the communities because it's like, oh, we can like point at and look at this positive future. And so for us, that's what we did with wisdom ages. We're like, hey, there is, we know that we're transitioning out of late stage capitalism. But when people talk about what's next, all they say is post-capitalism, which doesn't mean anything. It's just like post the thing that you're in. And so we wanted to point in a direction and say, no, we are going to this world where everybody is wise and has these holistic ethics and where everybody's networked in this beautiful new way and towards that wise and solar punk future, that's what we're actually moving towards as a nation and as a a people. I noticed on your website that you guys have a fellowship program and this sounds like something, you know, your mission and vision is something I'm sure people would want to get involved in. Can you tell me more about the fellowship program and who who should try to join that and what, what it's all about? So it's the Root Fellowship and it is a program it's a 10-week program that levels up your skills and kind of network in order to give you agency in this intense future that humanity is going through and we've run four fellowships thus far with you know 20 great fellows and i'd say maybe a third of them are in web3 and then a third of them are not in web3 and the fellows who go through it yeah what we're what we try to do is teach people giving them the skills for this new future so it's like how to be a pluralist how to learn anything how to build you know how to think in systems those kinds of things which are these like new complex kind of mental models and way of thinking that are fit with this new weird kind of twitter native reality and then in addition to that it's connecting with the the network and the peers so the past fellows the current group of you know 10 or 15 folks and then you know the network of aligned folks that I and the org have been working with, funders and uh, VCs and other founders, and just being connected with this. A lot of the people who join are divergent people who are thinking about all these random things in the world, and society tells them, you're too weird. (laughs) And so then they join our crew and they're like, oh my God, other amazing interdisciplinary curious people. Ah, I feel at home. So that's the program. We're actually running RF5, the fifth fellowship, starting in June 10th. And this amazing new woman, Eileen, is running it, who's done amazing stuff in effective altruism and crypto and other complex systems. And so, yeah, June 15th, feel free to check out the website, uh, root.co slash fellowship. And yeah, if you're interested in, you know, we're in this new increasingly networked world, which increases your amount of leverage, but you kind of have to know how to get that leverage. And so that's what the program provides. I normally don't actually use the questions that my producer makes me, they're like a guide. I like read them before and it gives me some ideas, but I'll actually look at them. But there's one here that I, that I was looking at and it's what is marriage counseling with capitalism? And I, I was very curious about that one. The other ones I'm like, yeah, I can get this out just through like a natural conversation, you know, and get this information. But this piece, I'm like, I'm not so sure <laughs> what, yeah. what it is. Yeah, good question. So this piece, again, for you and or the other listeners, another really cool illustrated piece that we've done So we did this one two years ago, and the idea is what it does is it takes this current moment in society and says, okay, and it anthropomorphizes, it takes capitalism and post-capitalism as ideas plus humanity, and it puts them in a therapy room with a therapist. So there are four characters in this kind of play, and they are all the form of the piece is it's just dialogue so they're all just chatting with each other going back and forth and so at the beginning you know like 
capitalism and humanity are there. And we're like, okay, where's post-capitalism? And then post-capitalism's late. And so post-capitalism comes in and, oh, they're, you know, this new kind of froofy, you know, like, oh, we're post-capitalist. We don't need to be on time. And they come in and they start chatting about some of these crucial notions for where we're at in our moment. And I think what it does well is it looks at some of these like ten, instead of just saying oh post capitalism bad or capitalism bad it looks at it and says okay we are trying to let's imagine for example the future of ethics and they say oh capitalism you're just you know totally focused on this thing or whatever and then it says oh what if we expand our scope and and think about more think about each other and the future as 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 things that should be within our moral scope and it kind of just goes through a bunch of those different things kind of bringing you through this conversation and showing you kind of a more positive version of reality and more nuanced take on just capitalism versus post-capitalism. We're getting close to the top of the show here. And I always ask every guest, what have I not asked you that I should have asked or that you wanted to talk about? The thing I'd like to chat about is maybe the other root projects that we're working on. Uh, They're cool. You know, they're, they're sweet. So there's the Web3 and Society Center, which we've already chatted about. And then there's this thing called civic abundance. And that's actually what we're going to be speaking about at graph day and civic abundance is it's informational and coordination infrastructure to help cities thrive. And so the idea is that everybody looks at San Francisco and goes, Oh my God, what a, just a crap hole. You know, like this is just the worst thing, but all the tech people, they just look at it and they point at the government. And they say, this is the worst thing ever. That is not the right frame. The government is you. The government is me. We have to take a role in this. And so, and we believe it can be this amazing solar punk future where instead of just having a third of the density of Paris, we have the same density as Paris. And, you know, we have abundant housing and we have ended homelessness and all these things. And so this is just kind of a, it's going to start as a dashboard, but will be with prediction markets built in that will allow people to see where the city's at in order to kind of, make a better and more positive future for the city. So that's one thing that we're working on. The other thing is called Tweetscape, which is a, it's kind of superhuman for Twitter. There's like two sides of it. There's superhuman for Twitter. And then there's a Twitter RPG that we're making. And those are, you know, we love Twitter and we're just bullish on Twitter long-term and or the DSO world and lens and stuff like that as well. So what we're trying to do is provide a better user experience around this really important thing for society. And so it's kind of trying to make a healthier meme sphere, but mostly helping the individuals themselves have a better kind of experience with hotkeys and all this stuff to, to kind of navigate Twitter, build connections and service the best information. And then finally, the third one is called What Information Wants. And What Information Wants is a, a book that I'm currently writing. It's called What Information Wants. And it's about the history of information and we have had genes and genes replicated and replicated and made the whole tree of life which is really cool and crazy and then we had ideas or you know what Dawkins calls memes not like internet memes but I like an idea that can go from mind to mind and that those memes have then spread and create the whole tree of ideas you know religions and nation states and all of that and the question that the book asks is we always view it from the view of the humans, but we actually need to view it from the lens of the replicator itself, the information itself and say, Hey, what is this thing doing? If we understand that, then we can understand kind of where we're going in this, our information internet age. So those are our three projects that are also cool. It's civic abundance to make cities better, Tweetscape to superhuman for Twitter, and then what information wants, which is a book about the history of replication. I like the superhuman for Twitter, man. That's, that's awesome. Thank you. 
like that's a nonprofit tool, but it definitely sounds for profit vibes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like it's like something that like anybody who's a heavy user of Twitter and everybody who works in crypto is forced to use Twitter for sure. I mean, even for like companies, that's a, it's like it's like Hootsuite, but a different way of looking at it, kind of. What's the URL for that? Tweetscape? There's a super beta up right now, tweetscape.co. But again, that's pretty super beta-y. If you go to root.co slash R-O-O-T-E dot C-O slash tweetscape, then you can see kind of our vision for the project. We're building it all in public. So you can go to the GitHub, you can go to the Discord, et cetera, and, and see what's happening there as well. That's cool. I'll go check it out. So as you said, the superhuman for Twitter sounds super valuable. And we oh, it's really valuable. Yeah, yeah it's a we great agree. startup idea. Yeah. Our org is very much of the we're not like a traditional nonprofit. We're very much of the YC mindset. We're building things people want, we're engineering driven, we're customer driven, we're product driven, and we're just doing it kind of the hard way because we want it. It's a good startup idea. And if other people are doing similar things, we want to collab with them. There's like this thing called Tweemex, which is this amazing Google Chrome extension or Ampy, which is another amazing Google Chrome extension, both for Twitter. And so it's like, we want to be part of this beautiful ecosystem of folks building this out. But yeah, it is, these things can be really good products that we also are going to monetize. I mean, we're going to, people are going to, we're going to charge a SaaS subscription and hopefully it'll be good, you know? Yeah, you can do that as a nonprofit for sure. That's cool. Exactly. Yeah, nonprofit doesn't actually mean don't make money. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Nonprofits still have to make money somehow. <laughs> exactly. If we're thinking of the nonprofit, it's it's kind of we're in the beginning stage of this, but likely we're going to be a hybrid org over time with for-profit, nonprofit, and DAO structures. And also, you know, these kind of frames of how institutions should run, like uh, hyperstructures, which is this great piece from Jacob from Zora, or the optimism kind of retroactive public goods funding. Those kinds of things are what we're going to move more and more towards. So it's not just going to be like simple uh, nonprofit. It'll be kind of this more hybrid-y model. Yep. Very cool. Well, I love what you're doing. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much. Thank you, Alex. And uh, thanks for the good questions. You just heard the Index Podcast with your host, Alex Kahaya. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the show a five-star rating and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or your favorite streaming platform. New episodes available every other Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in.